0: OWC Radio number 18. Everyone, my name is Tim Robertson. I am the host of OWC Radio, and this is episode 18. Like I said at the very beginning of the show, I've got a really cool interview. I'm going to stick in here towards the uh, well, towards the end. Obviously, uh, it's with Chuck Joyner, he of Mac Voices. You know, Chuck is um, just a really, really nice guy, and I hope you guys enjoy listening to the interview as much as I had. Actually, recording it now. I did that on Monday, and today is Thursday, and I haven't listened to it back, so I'm kind of uh, I'm looking forward to listening to it myself. Sometimes, right in the middle of doing an interview, uh, you lose track of you know exactly what someone said five minutes ago because you're kind of in the midst of it. I love going back and listening to interviews, and uh, one of the problems that I run into is I think, oh, I should have asked him this, or I should have asked her that, but. It is what it is, and I hope you guys enjoy it. If you do and uh, you like the way Chuck sounds, his attitude, really, you should check out his own podcast as well, macvoices.com. You can find it on iTunes, and we will link to it up at OWC Radio. Speaking of OWC Radio, I don't know if you guys have been going to the website a lot or not, but one of the things that we just posted this week is called OWC TV, And it's the newer technology window mount for iPhone 3G and 3GS. It's a video that I did with Grant Dalkey. It's kind of a tongue-in-cheek a little bit. We had a little fun with it. The whole thing is pretty much improv. Um, I I think you guys might enjoy this video. So if you actually want to see me on camera, and honestly, I have no idea why you would want to do that. But if you did, go up to OWCRadio.com. And it's posted directly underneath the show notes for OWC Radio number 18. That's the show. So there are some uh, things going on in the Mac, in the Apple world, and I wanted to talk about those a little bit before we get to the interview. First thing I wanted to talk about is the iPad. Obviously, Apple said that you're going to be able to buy the iPad um, just next week. won't get it until April, but you can you know, plunk your money down ahead of time. I am wondering though, I don't know if I'm going to pre order it right away or I'm going to wait a week or so. Um, if I don't, my fear, of course, is I might be on some kind of a waiting list, might be a couple weeks or a month afterwards. Uh, is there a delay in production? If I order it, am I going to get it the day it's released, uh, a day or so afterwards? Do I have to drive to the Apple Store or will they ship it to me? I don't really care either way, but if I do pre-order it, I would like to get it as soon as possible. And you know, at this point, I might just wait until Apple actually releases it and just go to the Apple Store. Now, the last time I went in to pay my iPhone bill at AT and T, they have this little machine that I can literally slide cash into to pay my bill. I love it. Uh, it's no cashier. It's all kind of like an it's a reverse ATM, if you will, because I'm putting my money into it instead of taking money out of it. The guys behind the counter told me, and I asked, I said, are you guys going to sell the iPad? And he said, oh, absolutely. I said, both of them are just the 3G version. He says, well, I think we're getting both, but I'm not sure yet. But I'm pretty sure we're getting both. So if that's the case, I might just go there because, unfortunately, there is no Apple retail store um, real close by. It's about an hour drive to either Grand Rapids, Michigan or Ann Arbor, Michigan for me to go to an Apple store. And I was just at one a few weeks ago taking my second oldest daughter's iPod Touch in for them to look at it because it wasn't taking a charge, it wasn't syncing with her iTunes. Um but it's working now, so all as well. But getting back to the iPad. I'm kind of wondering what you guys think of this. Do you think the iPad is going to be hacked in the same way that the iPhone was jailbroken? Pretty quickly after it's released. Now, I never got into the whole jailbreaking my iPhone. And for one very important reason, I didn't want to lose service with my phone. Now, nothing I read online suggested that would happen, but just the fact of of jailbreaking my telephone to install, you know, of dubious quality third-party apps that weren't vetted or anything, just throwing anything on my iPhone, which sounds appealing in, in some regards, but if something happens, it's on me. I can't go to Apple and say, hey, I downloaded this from your iTunes store and it it killed my phone. <laughs> you guys own me a new phone. Um, this is taking, you know, it's, it's up to me. Same thing with a computer, I know, but still, this is my phone. I want my telephone aspect of my iPhone to work 100% of the time. And it just kind of scared me the thought of jailbreaking my phone and taking potentially a bigger risk than I thought it was worth. The iPad, however, is different. The iPad, there is no service, you know, it's not your telephone. So, how long do you guys think, and gals, I know that there are some women that listen to this show too. So when I say guys, I'm all-inclusive, if you will. So how long do you think it's going to take for people to hack the iPhone, make it publicly available, one of these things that you just go to this website, click a button, and boom, you unlock, if you will, your iPad. And then you can start installing third-party apps on it, just as if you jailbroke an iPhone. I don't think it's going to take long at all. How long do you think it will be before someone hacks the iPad to run macOS 10? That's more interesting, I think. Now, obviously, I'm not really interested in the iPad that will run macOS 10. I've got a laptop for that. But there are some people out there who's going to do it or at least attempt to do it. Do you think it's A, feasible, and B, how long it's going to take hackers, if you will, the jailbreaking community, to jailbreak the iPad to make it run Mac OS X? I don't think it's going to take long. But I'm curious on what you guys think. If this was a possibility, if it was feasible, would you do it? I wonder how easy it's going to be to restore an iPad after it's been hacked like that. Probably just like an iPhone, right? You plug it into your computer, go into iTunes, and restore. I think it's going to be interesting times ahead. I really do. Here's an interesting story from Loop Insight, or uh, they just call it The Loop. Pink Floyd wins case, bans individual songs, or I'm sorry, bans individual sales of songs on iTunes. Earlier this week, Pink Floyd sued its record label, EMI, for selling individual songs on digital music services like iTunes. Pink Floyd had a clause in its contract that prevented the label from unbundling songs. The judge in the case said the purpose of the clause was to preserve the artistic integrity of albums. In other words, you really like the song Money, you can't just buy that song by itself. At least... That's what Pink Floyd wants. They don't want you to buy just the song money. They want you to buy the entire album. Now, I don't think this is necessarily um, Pink Floyd saying uh, we just want more money. I think from an artistic standpoint, they are looking at a song like money and saying, you know what? It's not really an individual song. It's part of a, a collective whole, and that's the album. Now, whether you agree with that artistic vision or not, and I'm not sure if I do, although, honestly, Dark Side of the Moon is one of my favorite albums of all time. Um, and, and that's an album that you really do need to listen from start to end to really get the full um, power, if you will. The, the, the entire experience of that album is not listening to individual songs, but the whole thing. Nevertheless, it's still up to us, right, as the listeners to decide how we're going to consume their music. Now, Pink Floyd may want us to sit down and listen to the whole entire album every single time we listen to or we want to hear Money. But we're not going to, are we? I'm not. I, I bet you don't. I can't tell you the last time I listened to Dark Side of the Moon from start to finish. It's, I, it's probably been 15, 20 years. Back when I was single, 19, living in a uh, small apartment uh, by myself, (laughs) you know, with with candles burning at 2 a.m., that's when you listen to Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon. So I can understand from an artistic standpoint why they wouldn't want this to happen. They don't want to sell individual songs. But from a realistic standpoint, really? Really? Okay. Okay. So I do have – I need your help on something. My wife's parents, who are in their 70s, are going to take possession of her, Julie's, my wife, uh, older MacBook. She just recently, last week, upgraded from her MacBook to a 13-inch MacBook Air, which she's really happy with. Man, that thing is small, so skinny. It really is. So she's looking forward to uh, turning this older MacBook. It's only like two years old, but it's older. Over to her parents who have never had a computer. They've always kind of wanted one, and they're not technophobes, but they really know nothing about computers. So here's the question. What do I put on the MacBook, and where do I even begin to te- how to teach them what they can do with this? That's, again, they're not technophobes, but I'm not quite sure how I should should position this machine for them. Do I make it more about iPhoto and how they can see pictures? They get $10 a month internet service where they live through the city. It's wireless, but it's pretty fast from my understanding. So I can set them up with a Facebook page. They were both educators. Her father was... A teacher for 30 years and whenever we're in public with him inevitably somebody will come up and say hey I was a st- student of yours and you know you were one of my favorite teachers and I learned a lot from you that sort of thing and he's very into that he he doesn't show it when they're saying it but that's all he'll talk about for hours afterwards so he really really digs it when ex-students come up and and say something to him he really likes that And we think, we being my wife and I, think that he would like it if he was online on Facebook and could reconnect with a lot of his older students and some of his colleagues in the teaching profession and people he went to school with that's still alive. He, I think, would really enjoy that. But my fear is that the MacBook is just going to be too complicated for both of them. Now, you and I know how easy it is to use a Mac, but we've been using it for quite a while. We know what we're doing. I mean, I'm going to assume that most of the people listening to this are pretty sophisticated computer users in that you're listening to a podcast. Her parents don't even understand what a podcast is. Most people of that generation don't understand what we're doing on computers nowadays. Not all, but most. So how do I position this? How do I set it up? How do I teach them what they need to know? I don't want to teach them too much, but I also don't want to teach them too little. So any input that you may have into this would be much appreciated by me. Um, Personally, and quite honestly, I was thinking it might be better to sell Julie's MacBook and then take that money and just buy them an iPad. Even the, the... Wi-Fi only 499 model is probably more than they'll ever going to need. It's small, it's easy to get around. It's Wi-Fi and that's how they'd get internet connection anyways. And they could do all the stuff that we're talking about, right? They can browse the net. They could jump on Facebook. We can put pictures on it for them, not just us but the rest of Julie's uh, family. Julie has a, a large family, so we could show them how to listen to internet radio. Well, I don't know. Can you do that? Well, sure, there's apps for that. But I don't know. I just, I kind of think that the iPad might be a better solution um, for a couple that's in their mid 70s. It's a lot less complex. It's all touch based. And I kind of think, with the right case, that. The iPad may actually be more durable. Now, let me explain that. With a laptop, you're constantly open and closing the lid. And after a while, those hinges start to wear out. The mechanical keyboard gets dirty, let's be honest. And the older MacBook screens aren't the brightest, aren't the sharpest. I think that maybe the iPad might be a better solution. I'd love to get your feedback. You'd really do me a favor if if you... Let me know what you think. Here's the ways you can contact the show. Twitter.com slash Radio. Email is podcast at maxsales.com. Now, with that email address, you can send either an audio feedback, which I love and prefer, or just a regular email. I love those two. Or you can call our Skype number and leave a message. It's 1-801-938-5559. Now, I do have some email feedback, but I'm going to save them for the next show because I need to wrap up this segment so we can get to the the interview that I did earlier in the week with Chuck Joyner. I don't want to make this show too long. So, uh, Bob, I'm going to save your email for uh, OWC19. That will be early next week. And for the rest of you, please enjoy the interview with Chuck, and I'll be back after that interview to wrap up the show. And I'm joined by Chuck Joyner. Hello, Chuck Joyner. Hey, Tim Robertson. It's good to talk to you. Yeah, I really appreciate you coming on the show this week. The talk of the Mac community, Mac Voices with Chuck Joyner. This is a great show, Chuck. Uh, How long ago did you start Mac Voices and and what's it all about?
1: Mac Voices started in October of 2005 uh, and it was intended to be just what the tagline says, and it's, it's, it's a bit of a, of a cute little pun, but it's intended to be just that, the Mac community talking. People, interesting people, uh, luminaries and uh, vendors, authors, pretty much anyone who's doing something interesting and cool in the Mac community, let them tell their story instead of uh, someone else telling it for them.
0: I think it's a fantastic idea. I'm glad someone did it, and I'm glad it's you because you have a very natural tendency to do this. But let's kind of go back in time a little bit. And uh, let's talk about Chuck Joyner. I was doing a little bit of research, not a whole lot because I'm Uh I'm lazy. (laughs) That's not good. But but I found out that um, you had a career or had or have a career as an insurance investigator, negotiations, and litigation management. What is that about? uh that's what i that's the day job that pays for all the, yeah. all the podcast activities
1: <laughs> i've i've been uh i've worked in insurance claims in one form or another since uh, I came out of college uh got into it sort of by accident and just really really liked it like the uh the give and take like the fact that you're helping people sometimes in trouble one way sometimes in trouble another but um there's also a fair amount of of combat mentality which is also something I enjoy so uh that's just what what I do I've I've gone through a couple of different fortune 500 carriers a regional carrier right now I'm I'm with a, a group of independent insurance agents in central Pennsylvania
0: Is it so, mostly auto insurance or is it home insurance
1: Uh no, actually it's it's property and casualty. Okay. Um mainly commercial, more more that kind of thing, commercial. That's where you see the litigation part come in. Um, but yeah, I've uh, sh- short of actual property. I've done pretty much everything in insurance claims from uh homeowners and auto, the whole way up to workers' compensation, bond, environmental, you you name it. I've pretty much done it somewhere along the line. What's the funnest? If oh,
0: the you had fun- to pick one, uh, yeah.
1: Oh, the oh, well, the funnest is not really a type of, of, uh, of insurance claims. It's more um, the litigation part. Really? Where you, yeah, where you get to uh, – and, and I'm, not, I'm not counsel, but where you get to go and do the negotiations part because that's always the best part uh, to get to convince someone else that you're right and, and they're wrong or at least to make them see your point of view and have to acknowledge it.
0: You like the arguing.
1: Uh, I will argue about
0: anything. <laughs> Are you married? No okay maybe <laughs> I was gonna say because uh wow if I if if I had those skills I I don't know I kind of do but I can't practice them at home because my wife simply will not lose she <laughs> she has ultimate veto so what am I gonna do right
1: I don't know about ultimate veto but I have the same thing you don't like to lose it's just it it's it's fun to know that or at least to think you're right and try to convince someone. And you, know, you start to understand the give and take, which is really, I think, the reason I enjoy what I do with Mac Voices and all the others so much. It, it is that kind of give and take. It's not as much combative, but it's more getting people to give you the information that they have in a way that uh, you will enjoy and gain from and you hope the listeners and viewers will.
0: What did 16-year-old Chuck Joyner want to do when he grew up? Ooh, that's a good one. He didn't have a clue. No. Neither did sixteen-year-old Tim Robertson, by the way.
1: No business of some kind. That that's always been sort of a a, a bent, I guess.
0: But uh, nothing nothing in particular. When did you get into Macintosh for the first time?
1: Probably 1985, give or take. Um, but to be to be accurate, I had I had been an Apple II person since about 1981. So. You know, I'd always been in the Apple ecosystem. At, at some point, I didn't make the immediate jump to the Mac. Uh, I've, I waited until I guess about the SE came out. Um, but you know, once I was there, it just opened up a whole new world, even beyond what the Apple II was doing, and never looked back. Now, you're real
0: active in the uh, Mac user group, still?
1: Yeah, um, I had I was uh, chairman of the Apple uh, Apple's user group advisory board for about four and a half years, um, and uh, then. Step down from that, uh, still president of my of my user group in Hershey. Uh, still run the Mug center at mugcenter.com, which is a resource site for Mac user groups. Um, just again, really like the people that uh, when I joined my local user group, I, I found a lot of people that are like-minded, like interest, and uh, so it's, it's just a blast to go and, and spend an evening every month with those folks. and that just sort of also grew as, uh, as par- I think part of just the natural evolution of being a Mac enthusiast.
0: You know, a lot of people talk that mugs are dead at this point. The Internet has pretty much killed a user group. Um, Is that your experience, or do you think that mugs are doing just fine in this Internet economy that we have?
1: Tim, it's a great question. I think it's somewhere in between. Uh, They're definitely not dead. Uh, they're, They're evolving or having to evolve whether they want to or not as with any evolution, some, there are some casualties along the way. Mm-hmm. And there are some others that are really out there and and embracing the new technologies, embracing kind of new ways of doing things. Um, I feel sort of sorry for the folks who seem to be so mired in the past. They look back and say, well, this is the way we've always done it. This is the way that user group should be.
0: And they're not doing so well. You know, you and I have been in this industry for a long time. Uh, collectively, I mean, if you put uh, us together gosh we we predate the Mac <laughs> but that <laughs> yeah. being said we've kind of changed with the times there's a lot of people out there that don't how do you try to convince them or do you even bother anymore to try to become what it is now instead of stop looking back it's it's the Mac world Expo of uh, 1986 that's not viable anymore the Mac user groups of 5,000 people showing up to hear dr. Mac Bob Levitas talking. That's not viable anymore. This is what it is today. You, are you trying to bring people up to the current? What's going on? Or are you just kind of like, yeah? If you can't figure it out, it's your own fault.
1: Tim, I think you expose them. Some people, some people will embrace new things. Some people are, are quite happy the way they are. You know, some people are probably sitting at home watching a 19-inch tube TV. Great. That's you know, that's their prerogative. I, I think that in order to to do that evolution I'm talking about, you have to bring new things. You have to bring video making, podcast, um, all internet, social media, all those things, to your user group. And if they choose to embrace them, great. If not, yeah, you lose people along the way, but I think you pick up some others. Um, it's not a one-for-one trade most of the time, unfortunately, because the younger the younger people, listen to that, I sound so old, but <laughs> young, younger people don't need the same things that we did when we were that age. They're immersed in it
0: all day. Yeah, they uh, take it for granted how quick they can get Just software updates, for instance. I mean, I remember back in the day that the big thing about going to the user group is I wonder what new software I'm going to get an update for. Yep. You know, make sure you bring the floppies with you.
1: Yeah. And now – I I still think that that user groups can serve a purpose in that area. You can get a lot of information. You can see a lot of demos. Um, our friend Don McAllister does such an amazing job. I always bring Don's name up because he's the gold standard of, Absolutely. of, of online demos. Um, but at the same time, there's still something that sit down with someone that you know, local at your group, who is showing something and ask questions. And a lot of the times it becomes almost an experimental session. I know when I demo certain things in my group, they ask, well, how do you do this? I don't know. Let's see if we can figure it out.
0: Yeah, that's fun, isn't it?
1: Yeah, and, and it's, it's a social aspect. You know, in, in a world of social media, everybody's still craving for that connection. And you and I both just came back from Macworld, and that's a whole other topic. But there is, that, there is that sense that everyone around you shares a, a large percentage of your interest. That's what happens when you go to your local user group. For that, for that evening, you don't have to uh, hold back. As as you maybe do with your normal friends who are into um, American Idol or whatever is on reality TV, you can just be yourself.
0: Yep, absolutely. What was the start of your online? Uh, I want to say personality, but that makes it sound phony. Your online <laughs> life. You know, when you first kind of put yourself out there online, what was that thing that you were putting out there? Was it a? Of course, back in the day, there was no blog, but I, I assume that it was a web page of some sort. Yeah, I think like, like so many people, uh, I started with a vanity site.
1: Just you know, you did, none of us knew what what we were going to do with it. We just knew that we thought we should have it. Yeah. Um, I, I, in fact, I remember exactly what spurred me into it to to want to become a publisher. I had, I was at MacWorld Expo. I uh, I've forgotten the year. I'm sorry about that. Um, but I went to one of the uh, the feature presentations. Kai Krauss, Graham Nash. Mm-hmm. Um, i can 't remember the comedian i 'm sorry, uh, but a few other people, and they were talking about the things that they were doing online and it 's like the light bulb went on. This is something that is going to be important, and you better start to learn now because it 's just going just going to get worse <laughs> uh so i you know I, I bought bought my domain and put up a page, and uh that 's probably the most the the website that's in the least or most disrepair i should say
0: <laughs> it 's still up then. It's still there,
1: yeah. It's, right now, it's just sort of a catch-all for uh, for Twitter. But uh, I, I keep thinking tomorrow
0: I'll I'll revamp that and get to it. Yeah, um, it's one of those that you, if you don't keep it on t- on top of it immediately, it just kind of falls by the wayside and it becomes one of those projects for the future when I have the time. Which, if you're anything like me, you just never have that time.
1: Well, what I found was that there were other things like the Mug Center, which is the first. Website with a purpose, if you will, that uh, that I did, and Mac Voices and, and Mac Voices TV, and all the others, that they became sites with a purpose. You know, my own personal site didn't really have a purpose other than just to talk about what interested me, and I didn't think that was that much that interesting to other people. So I focused my efforts elsewhere.
0: At the end of this uh, interview, Chuck, I'm going to do what's called this or that, where I'm going to ask you five questions. And there's no correct answer. I'll just uh, present like white or black. And you could say, well, black because I have a black car, uh, okay. that sort of thing. And that's going to come at the end. But before we get there, let's move up in time a little bit to podcasting. What was the first podcast that you listened to? And what was the first podcast that you listened to that made you think, I can do that?
1: Oh, OK. I can't answer that, but I can tell you what happened. Um there were there were things that predated podcasting as you and I know it. Yep. There were online audio shows.
0: Oh, Sean King had a thing for ten years before podcasting was you know out there.
1: Yeah, and I was on that show for a while as the user group correspondent. I remember. <laughs> and um, yeah, I'm and, showing uh, my age now, aren't I? <laughs> well, did I bring any numbers up? <laughs> um, but again, you know, the it, it, at that time, I was very much embroiled in the user group thing. I felt like there were so many stories out there in the user group community that weren't being told. So I started doing what was not a podcast at the time, which was an online audio show that you could listen to online or download um, called the User Group Report. And it was similar in, in focus to uh, Mac Voices now, but only limited to user groups and the occasional foray into a vendor or someone like that. And I started that uh, in May of 2001 and kept it going until Mac Voices started, um, mainly because when podcasting came along in 2005
0: and four. ended up. Four? Yeah. Four. You're right. You're right. Um, I only know that because I started in 2004, and I, I didn't invent it. <laughs> yeah, no, you're
1: right. You're right. And, and I started getting emails from people who had found the show in iTunes, and they said, you know, I really like what you do, but I'm not a user group person, and I found it by accident. And I sort of realized that, okay, I have a branding problem. Let's fix it. And so that's when we, we sort of changed the focus from user
0: groups over to the, the larger Mac community, and uh, it became Mac Voices. What do you like about podcasting personally? What is it about that it draws you in when you get home and you set up your microphone and you're getting ready to start? What's the thrill for you? I mean, because you've been doing this for five years now. Something's got to keep you going. You're not getting rich off of it. Nobody is. So what keeps you coming back to that microphone? The people. Yeah. They're the coolest people in the world because they have so much
1: passion about what they do. I mean, I know there are plenty of people out there. They're doing it to make a living. But I don't find anybody in the Mac space that is just sort of there because it's their job and they go home at night and sit on the couch. They just have a passion for it. And and I'm drawn to people with passions. I I think that it's great. You get any of the – well, just go back and listen to any show and and you hear people that are really excited about their piece of software or their book reporting on a piece of software or whatever it is that they do. And that's –
0: That's the thrill. Why don't we find PC users with the same types of passion as Mac users tend to have? And I don't mean to be too generalized in that, but I think it's pretty much true. What is it about the Mac platform, this community that surrounds the Macintosh? And you notice I'm not saying Apple. I'm saying the Macintosh here. What is it about that community that really spurs people like you to start from nothing and and build a show, to to create something and put it out there for free, I might add, and allow people to consume your own content. What is it about this platform in this community that allows people to do that?
1: I don't know, Tim, if it's the idea that uh, or, or the ability that the Mac gives people to expand their horizons, to dip their toe into so many different things, whether it's video, audio, social media, uh, just online exploration, writing Presentations, whatever, and I, I think it may have something to do with that, and the fact that for a, for a substantial portion of the time, it just works. Yeah, you, you don't have to be a geek to keep it running. And and I know that we're playing into all the stereotypes, but I think they're they're stereotypes. A, a yeah, reason.
0: yes, I was going to say there's yeah. the reason they call it a stereotype is I mean, it's true. I mean, I've always looked at the Macintosh as kind of the the only computer platform out there. And again, it's a stereotype, but it kind of takes the complex out of the way and lets us, the creative people, or the people who just want to get stuff done, to do just that.
1: Yeah, I, I can't imagine trying to go through a day without my hands on a Mac. It, it just it just doesn't make any sense if I'm – unless I'm going to just lay
0: on a beach and even then I think
1: I'd <laughs> probably have the bends if I didn't get my hands on a keyboard at some point. But, but
0: by the same token, I, I can guarantee you – and. I don't know you real well, but I can guarantee you if someone came up with a Mac question to you, you'd be only too happy to help them. Well, sure. But you <laughs> I mean, don't see that on the PC side as much.
1: Yeah, but I don't think they know as many answers.
0: <laughs> that's true. That's probably... Usually, if if there's a Mac guy in the family, that's kind of the tech guy of the family, though.
1: Yeah, because, well, there's a generalization there going on, too. But, true. But they don't mind being the tech guy, because I think there's... If if they've reached that level of enthusiasm, they have a bit of a tech bent to start with, and I think the Mac pulls you into that as well because because it's so easy to experiment and do something. Where some people start with word processing and maybe a spreadsheet, suddenly they want to play with iMovie. Suddenly they're organizing photos in iPhoto, and then well, it'd be interesting to post some of this stuff on the web. And it just it feeds on itself because it's so easy to do. It 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 pulls you in.
0: That's how uh, MyMac.com started back when I was running that website. And when I first started that back in 1995, it really came about because I found this program. And you'll remember this, I'm sure, called DocMaker. Oh, sure. And with DocMaker, the way I created it and the way I made it look is the way it would look for everybody. And that was almost unheard of back in 95, 94 uh, because if you just sent someone a text document unless they had the correct fonts and all that it just it never came out right and there was no pdf so it was the software that kind of allowed my creativity to spring forward um, so we know about the podcast and I'm talking about the audio here what is macvoices.tv and how did that come about
1: macvoices tv came about because just like i said it sucks you in you know you're doing <laughs> you're doing audio you, you see things come out, iMovie comes out, you start to play with video and you think, hey, this would be really great to incorporate, not to just let people hear some of these folks, but to let them see some of these folks and to to be able to do things that in, in a visual fashion. Um, so it's, it's really sort of just starting to come into its own as my skills get to a point where I'm a bit more comfortable releasing things because I'd rather not have them look like a third grader did them, um, but it's just again, that natural outgrowth, I think, of of what I have been doing, uh, it only makes sense to take it over to video. Video is different. It's harder to produce. It takes a lot more time to produce. It is a totally different uh, uh, content model when it comes to viewing or using it on the other side. Uh, Audio, you and I both know you can do that in your car, you can do that when you're doing the anywhere. laundry. Yeah, absolutely. Any, anywhere. Um, video, if it's going to be effective, people have to sit down and watch it. So I, I still will focus, I think, for, at least for the moment on the audio, but the video just adds that extra dimension.
0: Do you think that video is going to become the next type of – for instance, podcasting is huge because in my opinion, it's it's time shifting. Do you think yes. video is going to go that route as well with the, the video podcast?
1: Tim, I can, I can only answer that from the way I look at it. That's the way I use video. Yeah, me I don't too. watch anything live. So the, the live shows, with all due respect to the folks who are doing live shows, that's great. And if your audience uh, accepts it and demands it, wonderful. And I'm not saying I'll never do a live show, but I don't think it's ever going to be my predominant thing because I'm, I, I've, I watch and listen what I watch and listen to wherever I can, whenever I can, not on someone else's schedule.
0: Is it frustrating to you to listen to an audio podcast? And the people continuously talk about the live video feed that's going on at the same time. When you know darn well that as big as the the video audience that they have at that moment is is dwarfed by the number of people downloading the audio only portion. If it's done right, it's not.
1: You know, if it's if it's part of it, it's documenting uh, much the same way that you and I documented things at, at MacWorld. There's there's kind of no way not to ignore what's going on around you. That's part of the live experience that they're having. If, if they use it as a source of information and of questions, that's great. If, if they're just you know, sort of giving shout-outs to the people as they come in the chat room, then it gets to be a little annoying. Mm. No names, please. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not even I, – I, I really, I was not even thinking of anyone in particular when I said that. I just as, – as a matter of how, how those are produced, uh, I think you're right. I think it can be a, an asset to the show. I think it also can be a detriment to those who are not – participating live
0: one of the things about the uh, living in america as a business person especially if you've got a fairly large company and you're on the stock market is they're always looking for growth what's the next thing how are you going to increase this number or increase that number do you think of those kind of um, business plans when it comes to mac voices how can i what's the next level for mac voices how do i get even more listeners or do you not even worry about that
1: I, I think about it. I can't say that I worry about it. Uh, I, I like to think that uh, if you're doing something of quality, if you're doing something of interest to people, the word will spread, and and that's the way I'd prefer for people to find my show. I love it if they stumble across iTunes. That's in it across it in iTunes. Excuse me. That's great. But I'd much rather have them uh, start listening to one of the shows or watching one of the shows. Because a friend of theirs said, hey, this is really great. Or they saw something written up, uh, a positive review somewhere. Uh, So I don't have particular strategies uh, at the moment. Well, that's not true. I have a few. But nothing that I want to go out and conquer the world and have 10 million viewers or listeners. I don't think that's the kind of show I produced. So that's therefore not my goal.
0: Do you remember the first time you got feedback from someone on the other side of the planet and it kind of blew you away? Oh, Yeah.
1: It's like, wow, there's somebody out there really listening? And they're listening in Australia? They're listening in Europe? Is, is they're listening in Egypt? Wait a minute. What? <laughs> I mean, I knew they could. I just didn't know they would. And it's, it's
0: and it's, then reach out to you about it.
1: Yeah. And it's, it's quite it, – there's no question. It's, it's a bit of an ego stroke, but it's also, it's also very flattering that someone would, would give you the time that it obviously takes them to
0: listen. If you had to recommend, other than your own stuff, um, another podcast for someone to check out, what would you recommend? Oh, boy. There's a lot of good stuff out there. Like I like a typical Mac user a lot. Um, Vic- Victor does a great yeah. job.
1: I, you know, I'm part of the Mac Roundtable, and I would tell anybody to go to macroundtable.com and link off to their shows. shows. Good shows. Uh, Absolutely. You know, those are all great people. Uh the guys over at the Mac Observer, Dave Hamilton and John F. I think Fromm, they're
0: doing I don't know where they find the time to come up with all the answers that they're providing to that audience, but geez oh Pete's they're good. They are they are really good. It's geeky and that's what it's supposed to be.
1: Yep. Um, it says it right in the name. Yeah, exactly. Uh Jeff Gammett and Brian Chaffin from the Mac Observer do the Apple Context Machine, which is their particular take on the news of the week. And uh they make no bones about the fact that it's not uh, supposed to be, you know, super informative and real tight. It's supposed to be entertaining as well as informative. Uh, I I mean, I could go on and on. You know, Macworld does. The guys at Macworld do terrific podcasts. Just, there's so many out there. Um, Amber MacArthur and, and Jeff MacArthur uh, and Will Pate do Command N, which is a, one of my
0: favorite video podcasts. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. Uh, you know, yeah. I get I – because get, I've been doing this since, what, 2004 – uh to radio is fairly new, but I've been doing podcasting since 2004 and people, I will get, you know, emails asking about what do you think about this show? What do you think about that show? And I almost always have something positive to say. And it seems like they're kind of surprised that, because yes, we are competing shows, but not really. We're all friendly. Uh, we all show up on each other's shows. I don't see that happening in other mediums.
1: Uh you know, Tim, I think it's funny. The Mac Roundtable had this discussion at Macworld that we can all cover the, ver- the exact same topic, the same product even. And because of who we are and the styles of our shows, we come at it from different angles. So there's some overlap naturally. But I don't think anyone would get necessarily tired if they listened to three, four, five, even six shows on the same topic because of the different approaches that uh, we all bring to the table.
0: Let's get to uh, my favorite part of the show, Chuck, before I let you get back to your real life. And it's called This or That. I prepared – well, I, I won't take credit for all these because we've had some uh, listener suggestions on This or That. So it's called uh, This or That. And uh, I didn't pick one of them. <laughs> In other words, I picked one. The other four came from the listeners. So are you ready? I'm ready. Text editor or word processor? Word processor. Word processor. Any one in particular? Uh, right now, probably Pages. Pages? Mm. Yeah. yeah. I, uh, I've given up on Microsoft Word myself.
1: Word still has its place, especially in the business world. But if, if I have my druthers, I'd, I've, I've migrated over to Pages for as much
0: as I can. Mm. Number two, USB or Firewire? Oh, boy. Firewire. Why? Speed. Speed? Well, USB 2.0 is not a slouch, and 3.0 is, looks like they finally uh, finalized it, and it should be coming out, I would say, standard within the next year. Yeah, I'll,
1: I'll reserve
0: uh, the 3.0, but if, if you give me 2.0 versus FireWare, I'll,
1: I'll go FireWire, especially FireWire 800 every time.
0: Green screen or monochrome? Green screen? Yeah. Not That's that I've played with it that much, but... It, it seems like it should be easy, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I think it is if you can figure out the lighting., oh, you know, I don't know. I, I've tried and tried and tried, and I keep thinking, oh okay, I got it, and uh, I, when it comes to that green screening, maybe if I had you know a month to do nothing but that, but like I said earlier, who has that much time?
1: Oh, but you're, you're like everybody else. You want it to be just perfect. You Like I said before, you don't want it to look like a third
0: grader did it. So until you can get to that point, you're not going to be satisfied. That's true. And I am kind of a perfectionist when it comes to that sort of thing. No kidding. The last one of the <laughs> tech ones, and then we'll have a completely unrelated, not, nothing to do with Macs or technology at all. But the last one with tech, laptop or desktop? Laptop. Yeah. What are you running now? Uh, right now, I'm… I'm anxiously
1: awaiting uh, Apple's release of the revised MacBook Pros because my my 17-inch MacBook Pro is about a little over three years old, and it's time for an upgrade.
0: Is that your usual everyone a new one every three years or so?
1: No, uh, the last one was because I the the one before it died. Uh, I wasn't quite ready for the cycle, and I've just kept this one going because. The, the upgrades have not quite been compelling enough to invest the money. And it's a bigger investment than some people do because I like the 17-inch.
0: I like the 15-inch myself, but I'm kind of split between – I used to be a, a hardcore desktop, but I'm almost everything I do now is a, is a laptop, a 15-inch MacBook Pro, the, the brand new one that just came out this year. Well, the end of last year, I should say. Um, I'm really impressed with the the longevity of the battery. That's amazing, especially if I turn down the screen brightness. Um,
1: yeah, that, that's what everyone tells me, and and I've been jealous of that, and I just have been waiting, especially since now the, what, the i5s, the i7s, yep. whatever's going to be in these seem to be a significant leap forward that uh, ordinarily I'd wait, maybe buy something refurbished or, or buy the last generation when the next one comes out. But, this time, I'm waiting for the uh, the top of the line.
0: Not only are they going to be faster, they're going to be a lot better in power management. And a lot of people really don't understand that, that power management has as much to do with the performance of that machine as just the raw horsepower. Because it, I don't care how fast it is, if it only lasts for 20 minutes before the battery's dead, you've kind of got problems there. <laughs> yeah,
1: it does cut down on the productivity. It does. Even. It does. <laughs> I
0: i can't wait till these machines uh, come out with SSD drive standard because – or. You get a lot more capacity for a lot lower price. I think that's going to be when you see just massive differences in laptops. That's that's my dream anyways, and I think we're still about two years away from that. But, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of leaning with you, though. I'm kind of becoming more of a laptop person, and I never thought I would be.
1: I just find myself – the laptop goes with me everywhere, and it means that I can work anywhere and everywhere that I have time. The iPad may change a little bit of that uh, going forward, but – I still think for, for for people like the two of us who do so many varied and different things, the iPad is gonna be a great ancillary device. It's not gonna be the primary device.
0: I do you have you decided yet or are you gonna wait for the three G iPad or are you gonna get the Wi Fi? No, I'm gonna get the Wi Fi and then maybe get the 3G later and sell the Wi-Fi. Which Wi-Fi? <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, that's that's a good question. I, I've you know, never can have too much memory, but since uh, the strategy is what it is, I may go with the 32, uh, 32 gig. I haven't quite decided yet. Still have a couple of days.
0: I kept saying I was going to go with the top of the line, but you know I've got a thirty-two gig iPhone, and it's only about seventy-five percent full. And of that, a lot of it's music, and then some. Of, I got like two or three GPS programs on there, which are one or two gigs each, so realistically, I don't—I don't think I need something that huge with the iPad. Yeah, but that's assuming you're going to use the
1: iPad exactly like you use the iPhone. I know, and, and
0: that's the problem. And that's you know, the problem. Yeah, I'm mm-hmm. just dying to get my hands on one. I really am. Yeah, who is it? <laughs> well, this time next month we'll have one, all right? You're right, you're right. we'll have to get together and talk about it, see what our what our experiences are. I would love to, to talk to you after it comes out and kind of compare notes. And I'm just really excited. I haven't been this excited uh, about a new Apple product in quite a while. And, you know, the funny thing is I really wasn't when they first made the announcement, or especially with all the speculation leading up to the event, I was like, ugh, I've just had enough of it. Uh, but now as I think about it, I'm buying stuff on the iTunes Music Store that I see that looks like a really fun game and i'm not even playing them yet cuz in the back of my head i'm thinking i'll just wait till it comes out on the ipad and i'll play it there but if i buy it now i still get the you know the discounted price you see the the weekend sale prices and stuff so yeah. buy it now and update it when the ipad comes out and i've got a great game
1: and i'm not a gamer at at all i mean zero there's not a game on any of my machines but i'm looking at some of the productivity apps i'm thinking about uh, the things that They've done with the iPhone apps, and you know that any developer worth his salt is going to create a, a new level of that kind of app with more capabilities that are are applicable to an iPad. So I'm with you. I'm, I'm very anxious to get
0: my hands on the, that whole ecosystem. Last one of the this and that, and this is not technology or Macintosh-related, Star Trek or Star Wars? Star Trek. You know, I thought you were going to be a truck guy. I don't know why. Oh, you have to be. Yeah. I like be. them both. It, it's really hard for me to to. Some days I'll say, "Oh, definitely Star Wars," and there's other days that I watch an episode of DS Nine and I think, "Oh, I'm I'm a Star Trek guy all the way."
1: <laughs> I Star Wars is fun in in sort of a oh god I'm going to get emails for this, but it's it's a little more fairy
0: taleish, comic bookish. Oh, I think that thing. was it was designed that way.
1: Oh yeah, and and there's nothing nothing wrong with that. I I I absolutely enjoy Star Wars. But the Star Trek universe just appeals to me more because it's a bit more serious. What show was your show? Oh, boy. That's a great question. I can't really say. I, when each of them was on, that was yeah. my favorite.
0: I didn't like Enterprise as much. That that show was kind of uh, – I don't know. It just didn't feel like Star Star Trek to me.
1: Interesting. Now, I I really enjoyed Enterprise. It felt like it got off to a slow start. But I, I, at the end, I was really sorry to see it go because well, the characters had finally been developed. You finally felt like you knew them, and then they pulled the plug.
0: I, I kept thinking Sam was going to quantum leap out of the body, though. Well, that's – see, that's <laughs> – I couldn't get past that's, it. That's part of the problem when the actors stick in
1: genre shows. You, when, know, you wouldn't can have that, to really
0: compare, compare characters. Wouldn't that have made the greatest season finale of all time if he would have jumped out of the body at the last minute? And you went, oh, my gosh. It's part of Quantum Leap. I don't think Rick Berman would have ever let that happen. No, probably not. No. Chuck Joyner, I want to thank you very much for being on OWC Radio this week. Uh, where can the listeners go to learn more information about you, your Twitter, your websites? Give us some URLs.
1: Oh, there are a lot of them. Twitter is uh, twitter.com slash Chuck Joyner, all one word. Uh, MacVoices.com, of course. MacVoices.tv, you mentioned. Uh, The other two shows I do are MacNotables at MacNotables.com and the MacJury at uh, MacJury.com. And if you didn't write all those down, just go to MacVoicesGroup.com, and you'll find links to all of them.
0: Chuck, thanks a lot for joining us this
1: week. Tim, it's a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me.
0: And with that, we're going to wrap up OWC Radio number 18. Once again, I want to encourage everyone listening to visit www.maxsales.com. We just released a 1-terabyte, 1-terabyte Elite AL Pro Mini. $299, 1-terabyte, on the go. You know what? This drive with the enclosure is not too much bigger than a mouse. Computer mouse, of course, is what I'm talking about. You can check it out at www.maxsales.com. And make sure you check out owcradio.com. And have a great week.